Paul Golden here. I'm joined with our uh, CSU president, Dr. Jim Lytle, and uh, our very special guest today is uh, Dr. Bruce Baker, a pastor and author right now in Brenham, Texas. Bruce, welcome to the uh, podcast. Oh, it's a lot of fun being with you. Thanks a lot. Hey, tell us a bit about, uh, we're going to talk about a few things, some of the books you've written, uh, current uh, health struggle that you're dealing with now, but let's back up and talk about kind of where you grew up, your family. Well, I grew up in central Illinois, Peoria, Illinois, and uh, I went to a dispensational Presbyterian church. They don't have any of those anymore, but back when I was growing up, they did. In fact, now it's still an important, it was an important church then, it's an important church now. Brian Chapel, who is quite uh, well-known in reform circles, is now the pastor of it. So I don't think they mention the rapture anymore, or uh, they... Uh, have the prophecy conferences that they held when I was a kid. But that's where I grew up. And then I got older and I uh, went into the Navy, met my wife, married her. Her father is a Missouri Synod Lutheran pastor. Mm -hmm. So uh, if I had a brain in my head, I was going to go to a Lutheran church. So that's what I did for 11 and a half years. And then uh, got out of the, got out of the Navy and uh, was still, you know, kind of in the Lutheran church, but not really. Anyway, I got out and, and I got a job as a television engineer. And I just hated this job. Just absolutely hated it. It was one of those jobs where you come home on Friday and you can't enjoy the weekend because, you know, you got to go back to work on Monday. And so I was convetching about it to somebody and they said, well, Bruce, if you could do whatever you wanted to do for the rest of your life, what would you do? And I said, well, that's easy. I'd, uh, I'd preach the gospel. And he looked at me, he says, well, then why aren't you doing that? And that question just caught me flat-footed. I didn't have a good answer. Right after that, I twisted my knee and I was laid up about three or four days. So I sat around and I prayed about it and I prayed about it. And I said, all right, Lord, if you provide the money, I'll go back to school. So I went to Calvary. It's now Calvary University. It was Calvary Bible and College and Theological Seminary at the time. And I uh, got my Master's of Divinity, my Bachelor's and Master's of Divinity. Uh, that's where I met uh, Rod Decker, who ended up coming out here to uh, CSU. He was the one that really taught me uh, pretty much how to write uh, academically. And he was the one that said that uh, I was gifted at it and should try and keep that up. So uh, when CSU first started the Journal of Ministry and Theology, I don't think I was in the first edition. I think I was in the second edition of that. They took an article that I had written basically in my undergraduate on uh, uh, a, a, rule, a rule in uh, Greek grammar, and they published it. And then I, uh, there was a call for papers from uh, the Evangelical Theological Society, and Rod said, you ought to submit, you got to answer it. I said, I don't have a paper written, it doesn't matter. They turned down quick. It's fine. You need to go through the process. He was lying to me. Oh, my goodness. He was lying to me. I went in and I turned in my uh, proposal for paper. And to my absolute shock and horror, they accepted my paper. They accepted my proposal. Now I actually had to write one. You know, going up here before a bunch of PhDs, you know, I had an MDiv. Well, I poured myself into it, went and wrote, and that was good. Uh, it was well received, and so now he says you ought to send that to a publication to get published. He said send it to a Bibsack. 
And I said, why? And he says, well, he turned you down real quick. And I don't know if he lied to everybody, but he just was on the, you know, he just was behind me all the while, saying whatever fibs were necessary to get me to do what he wanted me to do. So I sent it to uh, Bibsack, and lo and behold, they published it. I was astounded. And uh, during that time, he, we, he and I were keeping in touch. He was at CSU. He said, let's go to this uh, conference together. So I went to the conference. Yeah, I met uh, Mike Stollard. And we roomed together. And at that time, I was in church, I was preaching, and I was coming to a passage of scripture that I knew I was handling incorrectly. I knew I was. But I didn't know how to handle it any better. And Mike said, well, what you have is a problem of uh, theological method. You need to come to our newly established PhD class. Now, I think I was the first one accepted in that class. And I think it was because you all were desperate. Hey, you in the red shirt, you want to be a doctor, don't you? Come here. I think it was more along those lines than anything else. Apparently, Dr. Decker lied to us to get you into the program. You know, I'll tell you what. He has some answering to do. That's all I got to say. <laughs> so uh, so that's how I got up, uh, associated with CSU. And uh, all the time I was in my PhD program, of course, I was going to school, which was difficult. But it was uh, better than the old model where you had to leave your country and your kidsmen and go to the land where I'll show you, you know, you can do it long distance. And uh, What year was that that you started the program? I think it was the first year, 99, something like that. And where were you pastoring at the time when you started? I was pastoring at Open Door Bible Church in Belton, Missouri. So you were um, able to come in, fly in, drive in right. those times? Well, fly in, it was a little too far. Because uh, it was right outside of Kansas City, but that's where I was. And the school was really good for me, helped my pastoring a lot, uh, particularly my uh, interpretation of the scriptures, because I, I handled them with more precision. Sometimes I come to the same conclusions I would have come to if I hadn't gone to school. Still, my reasoning and my justification were a lot sharper. And I could, uh, I could deal with that a lot better. So uh, anyway, we, I went to the PhD program. And uh, again, Rod said, uh, after I turned in my first paper, he said, you ought to try and get this published someplace. I said, why? He says, well, you did all this work. You ought to try and get people to read it. It's a good paper. So I said, okay. So I sent it off. Uh, well, actually, I think it was published by uh, uh, the Journal of Ministry and Theology again. And that's really those three events, what really started me into publishing in the first place, uh, into writing was just kind of backdoored into it, if you know what I mean. Speaking of writing, you've written at least two books that I know of, uh, Spiritual Maturity, The Road to Wonderland, and uh, For Thou Art With Me. Could you talk briefly and uh, overview those two books? Sure. I was reading, oh goodness, why can't, He That Is Spiritual, there we go, by Lewis Berry Chaper. And I found it one of the most profound books I had ever read. The problem was it was written in 1919 and it read like it was written in 1919. And the publisher wasn't doing us any favors because it was all gray text and, you know, little itty bitty print. And you, you had to want to read it in order to read it. So I decided uh, I'm going to rewrite this. So I basically took the principles that were in that book and I rewrote them and updated them for a modern audience. I, uh, you know, kind of put a story in with it to try and make it more accessible. 
uh, to show people how to grow spiritually. This was right when the spiritual formation movement was coming out. Actually, there's a funny story that goes along with that. I wanted, the reason I was reading here that is spiritual by Lewis Berry Chamber is because I wanted to give books on spiritual growth to my congregants. But I knew they weren't going to read that one. So I went to the local bookstore. And I uh, go to the uh, first bookstore. Well, we don't have anything like that pulled out by subject. It's all in the back under miscellaneous. And so they put all these books back there under author's name now instead of topic. So I'm browsing through all these books. And I find anything. So I go to the next bookstore. And there's this really perky girl behind the counter. And she says, are you looking for something? And I said, yes. And uh, she said, well, I can help you. I said, I think I'd really like to talk to somebody that's familiar with the, the corpus books here. No, no, I can help you. Okay. I would like a book on spiritual maturity. She got a perplexed look on her face and I'm trying to help her, you know, spiritual maturity, growing in Christ, becoming more like Christ, you know, growth. And so she goes, hmm. So she click, 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 click. Stares at her screen. No. Click, 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 stares at her screen. No. Click, 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 stares at her screen. She goes, here's one. It's, oh. And I said, is there a problem? And she said, yes, I found one but it's in our commentary section. And I said, and that is a problem, why? Well, and she gave me a patronizing smile. And she says, well, that means you'd actually be digging into the Bible. And I thought, oh, okay, this book needs to be written. But I tried one more time. I went to another bookstore and I went to the manager. And I'm telling him about spiritual growth and maturity. And he goes, oh, 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 you mean spiritual formation. And he led me to the front of the bookstore in a big, long aisle. And I started looking at all these books. And I was wondering if I walked into a Roman Catholic bookstore. Because, you know, um, it was all about praying the rosary and uh, the cycles of the day, you know, when you when you pray and uh, all these things that come out of medieval Catholicism. And that was the big thing. And so, and so it's this stuff. that There just wasn't anything out there on the subject of what the Bible says about growing in Christ that I can hand to my congregation. So that's why I wrote the first one. Where can people get that book, Spiritual Maturity, The Road to Wonderland? Anywhere they sell books, it's available on Amazon and uh, any other bookstore you care to go to. The second book you wrote, For Thou Art With Me, Biblical Help for the Terminally Ill and Those Who Love Them. Tell us the backstory of why you wrote that book. Originally, it's because um, I started having various um, symptoms. It got to the point where the hardest thing I did every week was get dressed on Sunday morning. And I said, there's something wrong here. So I go to the doctor and they gave me several wrong diagnoses first. But then um, they finally said, we have to admit you have ALS. And I said, well, what's the prognosis? And he said, well, well, this was August of 2017. We're, we're pretty sure you'll live six months. You could live a year, 18 months at the outside. 
and that uh, kind of uh, shook me. But because of the grace of God, it didn't panic me. And I realized, you know, if I'm ready, am I ready to step into heaven? Yes, I am. But the other people I saw at the clinics I went to were terrified. I remember meeting this one guy. I tell about him in the book. His name was Bob, and he had ALS. He said he couldn't get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom without stopping by his computer to see if there'd been some new breakthrough in the treatment of ALS. He, there, there just must be, there had to be something to stop him from dying. In ALS, for our listeners, that's also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. It's a nervous system disease that really weakens the muscles. Oh, yeah. And eventually it, it, uh, eventually it weakens the muscles that around your lungs, the diaphragm, et cetera, and you suffocate. It's basically how you die. The doctors were no, noticing something different about me because the various doctors I went to would ask my wife when I'm not around what's different about him. He's not like all the other people. One doctor asked my sister. One doctor came out and played and asked me, and I said, okay, I'll write this down into a book. So I wrote for Thou Art With Me. It's been extremely well received. I'm glad of that. It uh, walks through what does the Bible say about death? What does the Bible say about suffering? Why we suffer? You know, why am I suffering now? Why am I suffering this? It talks about uh, what heaven is like, and it deals with the whole topic of uh, uh, how to get rid of your fear of death and so forth. And I wrote that simply because uh, of my terminal illness. It was really, I told you there's another part of that story you haven't heard about two weeks ago. I had a nurse call me. I have some symptoms at night, every night that make me just terribly uncomfortable. And so she was doing some blood work and she called me and she said, well, I have some bad news. And I said, well, I've already got a fatal disease. What more can you, I mean, how many different ways can you kill me? Just go ahead and let me have it. And she said, uh, we believe you have leukemia. I just got diagnosed officially Monday that I also have leukemia in addition to having uh, ALS. But that's all right. You know, like I said, uh, uh, however you want to die, you know, it's, it's all in the Lord's hands. You know, in Revelation 1, 18, Jesus says, I am he who is the head and behold, I am alive forevermore and I hold the keys to hell and death, which means that nothing, no disease, no bullet, nothing can kill me until Jesus puts that key in the door. But when he does put that key in the door, there is no team of surgeons, no matter how talented that can save me. My life is completely in the hands of the Lord Jesus. And when you know that, and you are absolutely convinced of that, and you are in a good relationship with Jesus Christ, you've had your, you've come to the cross and you've had your sins forgiven and you know what eternity is like, then there's nothing to be afraid of. So that's what that book is about. Uh, that's powerful. Um, both my, my wife's mom and her grandfather both had ALS and, uh, I wish your book had been around then. I was just going to ask you, you know, what, what, are your, what are your top three go-to scriptures that comfort you and you give out to others? I think you just gave us one of them in there. Are there a couple more? First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following. Hmm. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, 
spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. When you look at what those words mean, it can never perish. It never becomes less than what it is. It never spoils. It never gets old or dull. It never fades. It's always going to be exciting and new. It's going to be just like God is. And it's being kept in heaven for you when you are a believer. That's what you have. That's the inheritance that you have waiting for you. When you know that, that changes your whole perspective on life. It really, really does. Uh, to know that, that you have that in the wings, ready to go. Bruce, when I think of you and catching up with you recently, I think of Second Corinthians four seventeen. You know, for our light and momentary affliction troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I mean, that's yeah. Actually, that's my screensaver on my computer. When Doctor Rod Decker, who is now in heaven, came down with cancer, ultimately lost that physical battle to cancer. I get frustrated or angry to God, you know, well, God, why in your sovereignty would you take a relatively young professor who's making a difference for him, cause of Christ? You know, why would you take a Bruce Baker, a pastor, a scholar, a writer? Why would you let him have Lou Gehrig's disease and leukemia? You kind of touched on it. How do you explain that to maybe an unbeliever and maybe share that experience? You said uh, how God's used your disease to impact uh, someone close to you. Sure. I always go back to Hezekiah in the Old Testament. God says, get your affairs in order because you're going to be dead in three months. And he puts his face to the wall and he weeps and he doesn't eat. And until God says, I've heard your tears, I'm going to give you another, another 15 years. Now, in doing so, we don't know what would have happened if Hezekiah had died in those three months. We don't know. But we do know what happened because he lived. First of all, he fathered a child. His name was Manasseh. He was the worst king that Israel ever had. It was because of Manasseh, God said, he's going to take Jerusalem and wipe it out as one wipes out a dish and turn it upside down. He was the one. He had committed the sin that was so bad that God says it's never going to be forgiven. I am going to wipe out Jerusalem because of that boy, which was born because Hezekiah lived. Also, during those 15 years, envoys from the Babylonian Empire came to celebrate him on, or to uh, congratulate him on getting over his illness. And he showed him everything in his treasury, all the riches that he had. That's what really prompted the Babylonian invasion. The envoys went back to Babylon and they went, you'll never believe what we just saw. It is ripe for the picket. And that's what brought in the Babylonian, in natural terms at least, brought about the Babylonian captivity. So we, again, these are at least two things that happened that are bad because he lived. We don't know what would happen if he denied, but because he lived. So God's timing is always best. You know, Paul, let me tell you, whenever God brings something into your life and you would change it, you'd only be making matters worse. Hmm. Because his, his ways are always the best ways. And you have to believe that. But when you do believe that, that makes an entire difference on how you view the rest of life. How has God used your ALS to impact others? I like to joke around that as long as I'm sick, I'll never be lonely. 
because uh, I've got all these uh, nurses and doctors and aides and this and that coming to see me all the time. I know the aide that uh, comes and uh, helps me in the mornings, helps me get dressed and all of that. She came to see me about a year ago, right after, I mean, her life was pretty messed up, right after one of the fathers of one of her children went and uh, had a terrible automobile accident because he was drunk and, and uh, really injured seriously the youngest of her two children. And that's when she realized she's not leading the right kind of life. That, that, that these things come to people that are out drinking hard and partying and this and the other. And right about then is when she came to work for Bonnie and I. And we started talking to her about Christ, slow but sure. And in the providence of God, uh, just really right about the turn of this year is when she asked Christ to be her Savior. Mm. And you can just see the difference in her life. And, uh, you know, I, I, I did not save her in any sense of the imagination. I did not uh, contribute to her salvation, but I modeled for her what a Christian is like. And that tore down a lot of the barriers she had in the past. And I kept encouraging her and go to a church near her home and said, friend, she wrote me and said it was because of me and Bonnie, my wife and I. She said it was because of Bonnie and me that, uh, that she came to know Christ. She wouldn't have otherwise. So there's just one example right there. Hmm. And I know that I'm being a good example to a lot of the other nurses and aides and so forth. And come, I have another woman that tunes in. I teach Sunday school via Zoom because I can't get out. I had a nurse come to visit me, and I said, where do you go to church? And she said, well, I don't. I said, why not? And she said, well, you know, I don't have a good reason. Well, here, tune into our Sunday school. And so now she's been coming to our Sunday school every, not coming, but listening. Every, uh, every week. This last week, I talked about how Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And I hit that plan of salvation pretty hard. I don't know what he's got planned for her heart, but I know this much that she's heard the gospel hmm. um, because we met her and, you know, talked to her in the listening to our Sunday school and, and so forth. Well, those are good notes for us to close down our discussion on. Um, so thankful for you, Bruce. You know, I, I, Love the contribution that you've made to the body of Christ and to scholarship for Christ's sake and what you've made to my heart in these last few minutes. And so we're going to make sure that we link up in the show notes, uh, your books, so we can extend your ministry. Those, those gospel stories that you were telling a moment ago are, are just encouragement. So Bruce, thanks for spending the time with us. Thanks for being a brother. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Paul, any last words? Hey Bruce, you're such an encouragement to me. You, you've lived the, you've lived well, and you're suffering well. And as we interview you, I know you're in a, a wheelchair. You're still serving faithfully, <laughs> serving strong despite your physical uh, limitations. That that's a, an, a huge encouragement to to me as well as our our listeners. So thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs>